We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing this series entitled The Family of God and want to talk to you today about when we're in the family of God, we receive mercy and we find grace. Ephesians chapter 2 is our text. You know, when we consider the family of God and realize that all has got, God has done for us, we recognize in the New Testament the metaphor that is most often used to describe the church or God's family is that very metaphor, the family. So it's only appropriate that you and I recognize we're a part of a greater family than just those that might be blood relation to you and me. We're a part of the family of God when we come into the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, we see that believers call each other brother and sister. And in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote these words beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. Does that describe anybody in this room? I got to lift my hand because once I was far away from God, I haven't always walked with him. I haven't always known him. There have been times I was far away from God. Paul's writing this to you and I. Do you understand that? So often we read the scripture with the ideology that he's writing to someone else. I know the letter was addressed to the church at Ephesus, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, it also speaks to your heart and to my heart today. Paul said to those who were afar off, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. I love verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For though through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. And look at verse 19. Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love that verse because it describes who we are in Jesus. Matter of fact, when you read it from the original Greek language, the word that's interpreted household in English actually means immediate family. And we talked about that in the first message in this series, how that we are now immediate family with God. We have right, we have access to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. We are immediate family. And that gives us a lot of opportunity and a lot of privilege because we're a part of God's family. So Paul is saying that you and I are the family of God, all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us never forget, it's not because we belong to a church. It's not because our life is marked by good deeds. It's not because we're moral people that we're a part of the family of God. It's not because we live in America that we are Christians and a part of the family of God. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed at the cross of Calvary that we are now brought near when we were far off. It's all because of Jesus. That's why I love that name, amen? There is no greater name than the name of Jesus. No more wonderful name than the name of Jesus. Anytime we sing about Him, songs about Him, our hearts should rejoice because we're talking about the one who brought us near. 
who made access available to you and me, to Jesus Christ and to God His Son. So we need to understand everything that we have is because of the cross. And when we come by way of the cross, then we, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, receive salvation, forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life. Being forever with God and never separated again. That should encourage somebody. Well, my goodness, we had a dead bunch here this morning. I said that should encourage somebody. Amen. Amen. That's good news. That's what the gospel is. Amen. Good news. That's what it's all about. We also find mercy and grace, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about experiences healing and His power. Many of you, a couple of weeks ago, I asked how many of you have been healed, and hands were up all over this building. It's amazing when you recognize there really is healing power in the name of Jesus. Come on, we've got to remember these things. We've got to recite these things and rehearse these things. So when we have a need, we turn to the one who's able to meet that need. There's healing in Jesus' name. Next week, bring every sick person you can find because we're going to preach about the healing power of Jesus, and we're going to pray for the sick. Amen? And I believe they will be healed. If you don't believe that, you stay at home. I want those who will get in faith with us next Sunday morning to be here. So be here next week. We also, in the family of God, find a plan and a purpose for our lives. We, in the family of God, know nothing can separate us from the love of God, and we lastly know He'll never leave us, and He'll never forsake us. So this morning, I want to talk to you about finding grace and mercy in the family of God. You know, it's interesting to me that probably the most difficult thing we deal with are relationship issues, issues with one another. Things can become contentious and difficult at one time or another in relationships. So we have to learn to communicate from the language of God's family. Amen? We have to learn to live from the example of Jesus Christ. Kind of reminds me, a few weeks ago, I was probably longer than that, a year ago more now. Time flies, doesn't it? I had some issues last year with my neck and some disc being out of place. And so I was going to a a pain doctor and they were injecting my neck, trying to bring relief. And I had forgotten to tell my staff that I was going to be getting a shot the next day. So I pulled out my iPhone and sent a text. Now, all of you know I hate iPhones, right? You know why I hate them? Because those little letters are too small for my big thumbs, and sometimes I type things that should never be typed. So I sent a text message to my staff that said, I won't be in in the morning. I thought I wrote, I'm getting shots in my neck, but if you change that O to an I, it's not a good thing. And that's the message they got. We got to be careful with our communication. Kind of like the lady that sent a text to all of her family that said, your aunt just passed away, LOL. Her son sent back, what do you mean, LOL? She said, well, well I, thought, I thought that meant lots of love. He said, no, that means laugh out loud. <laughs> Not much funny about that. We have to be careful about the way we communicate, how we respond with one another. But we need to learn to live with grace and mercy in our relationships. We need to understand that's the example given to us by Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus gave us these words. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a powerful word, isn't it? 
But that's a family word. That's a family injunction. It tells us how we're to live with one another. Now, I'm here to tell you, as long as you're breathing air and living in shoe leather, you're going to be offended or you will offend someone. It's just going to happen. It's part of being a human being. So when we know that's going to occur and we know that's going to happen, then we've got to find out what's the remedy. Well, the remedy isn't puffing up and pouting. The remedy is offering mercy. When someone offends you, give them mercy. Come on. And when you offend someone else, you should pray for mercy and for grace as well. We need to learn to live the words of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he made it even a little stronger in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 23, when he said, If you bring your gift to the altar, and remember your brother has something against you, someone's ticked at you, someone's mad at you, you've, you've offended them in some way or another, then leave your gift before the altar, Go your way, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's impossible to be in right relationship with me if you're not in right relationship with your family. Come on, that's what the Word says. These are topics we don't want to deal with because we're Americans and we have the right to think what we think, to do what we do, to behave as we behave, and to say as we desire. I believe in the First Amendment, but the First Amendment doesn't give you the right to offend someone else. Come on, as believers, we have got to understand what's required of us in the family. We have to understand how that works in our hearts and in our lives. We have to understand that forgiveness is predicated on grace and mercy. If we're going to be forgiven by God, we have got to be willing to forgive those who offend us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Make this so very clear. I'm going to read verse 15 from the New King James and then switch to the Amplified for verse 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is verse 16 from the Amplified. Therefore, let us with privilege, it is a privilege we have been granted through the cross of Jesus Christ to what? To approach the throne of grace. That's my privilege because I am a son of God, because I have come through the cross, because the blood of Jesus Christ has transformed me and cleansed me. I now have the right to access the throne of God. Oh, that's good stuff, folks. Come on, that's good news. I don't have to crawl on my knees for 10 miles hoping that somehow that sacrifice will get his attention. I don't have to burn incense and awful idols hoping that somehow that sacrifice will gain his attention. No, because I came through the cross, because I once was afar off, but now I've been drawn near. I can boldly approach the throne of grace. I can walk right up. I love the way the message says it. I can walk right up and get what he's offering. Oh, that's the privilege of sonship. That's the privilege of being a part of the family of God. So let's read it again. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor. So many think God is waiting there to beat them overhead with a big stick. I've got news for you. God is sitting in grace and favor right now. Now, there will be a day and there will be a time when God will judge those who know him and those who do not. There is a great white throne judgment. There is a Bema seat judgment. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about that Wednesday night when we look at Ephesians chapter 5. So we'll be back at 7 o'clock Wednesday night. If you don't want to hear about it, stay at home because we're going to talk about it. 
But we need to understand today, in this dispensation, at this time, God is sitting on a throne of grace and favor. He wants more than anything to extend mercy, to help you find grace and favor in His presence. So we go on to read that. It says, Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy, and I love the parenthetical statement there, for our failures. So that we may receive mercy for our failures. Again, let me say it. There is not a perfect person in this room. Every one of us miss the mark. Every one of us fall short. But the good news is there is mercy from the throne of God for you and me. The good news is if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, hallelujah. You know, I don't want to be a part of the church that says if you make a mistake, you're one and done. I don't want to be a part of a church that says three strikes and you're out. I want to be a part of a family that says we know when you fall and skin your knees, we're going to help you right back up because our God is a God of mercy. Oh, come on. That should excite you this morning. Maybe somebody watching online is excited by that. These folks really aren't very much, so I'm just going to preach to you this morning. And you're going to have to give me some feedback. We need to understand that's good news for our failures and find His amazing grace to help in time of need. And I like the parenthetical statement, an appropriate blessing coming at just the right moment. Do you understand that's the way God works? He's already got it in store for you, and the moment you need it, He sends it on down. Oh, come on, an appropriate blessing coming at just the right moment. I'm going to receive mercy, and I'm going to find grace. I'm going to find that appropriate blessing that comes at just the right moment. Somebody in this room, this is your moment. This is your moment. This is the time for you to receive what God already has for you. You say, I'm too far gone. I'm too bad off. No, he's there with mercy. And then after he gives you mercy and forgives you and cleanses you, he brings you grace. And that grace is the blessing you need at that very moment. Oh, come on. We need to know. It's already there. All we have to do is step up and take what he already has offered to us. Mercy and grace. I love it. Let me define it for you. Mercy, and this is in your outline, mercy is not God not giving us what we deserve. That's good stuff, folks. I know what I deserve. Let me rephrase that. I know what you deserve. Me? Probably not. You deserve hell. No, we all do. That's what we deserve, isn't it? We all deserve it. But God, through His great mercy, has given us an opportunity to avoid hell and inherit heaven. Through His great mercy. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but all of us need to think about it. If it weren't for the mercy of God, you might be in prison today. You might be in the hospital today. You might be on hospice today. You might be six foot under today. But for the mercy of God, He has preserved you. He has kept you. He has rescued you. He has redeemed you. He has set you free. He's brought you out of the miry clay. And He set your feet on the rock to stay. Well, somebody get excited about mercy. Somebody thank Him for mercy. His mercy... Oh, I love it. His mercies are new every morning. Oh, come on. What does that tell me? It tells me I'll never exhaust it. 
It'll never run out. The supply is unlimited. If I need mercy at 6 a.m. and I need it again at 8 a.m., it's there for me. Oh, come on. His mercies are new or renewed to me every single morning. I love it. Mercy. Not getting what I deserve. Not getting what I deserve. Not getting what I... I know what I deserve. I know who I am. I know what I have been. I know what I should be right now. But thanks to the mercy of God, I'm not getting what I deserve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then grace. I love grace. Grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. Giving us something we don't deserve. You don't deserve to be a part of the family of God, neither do I. You don't deserve heaven, neither do I. You don't deserve to live in peace, neither do I. You don't deserve the right to access the God of the universe and ask Him to meet your every need, neither do I. We don't deserve any of it, but God, because of His abundant, amazing, merciful grace, makes it possible for me and you. See, this is what grace does. Grace allows us to live at a level we never dreamt imagined. Grace allows us to live in a place and a position that was just pie in the sky. You see, grace takes us beyond rules and regulations and religion, and it moves us right into relationship. You want to really understand grace? Go to Daniel chapter 9. I'm not going to go there. don't have time, but read the entirety of it. Daniel has recognized the 70 years of captivity in Babylon are over, and it's time for Israel to go back to Jerusalem. So in Daniel chapter 9, he's praying a prayer of repentance. He says, God, forgive my sins. Forgive the sins of my people. And God, remember your city, Jerusalem. God, restore us and return us. Verse 17, if you read it from the message, Daniel chapter 9, this is what you're going to find. Daniel says, God, act according to who you are, not who we are. Oh, folks, that's grace. Every day I pray, God, act according to who you are, not who I am. See, I'm limited. I can only do certain things. I may not have the right perspective or the right judgment, but when I say, God, move with grace in my life, do what you want to do, act according to who you are, I'm throwing open the gate of my life for God to do mighty and amazing and miraculous and powerful things through his grace. God doing for me what I don't deserve. That's grace. That's grace. God doing for me what I don't deserve. You see, we need to understand we have to come to the place where we're not just pro-Christian, but we are Christ-like. You see, if we are Christ-like, we live in mercy and we live in grace. If we're just pro-Christian, then we think the Bible's a good book, Jesus was a good man, maybe even the Savior of the world. A lot of America is pro-Christian but not Christ-like. See, the, the, the absolute point of being a part of the family is that we become like Jesus. We begin to emulate Him. We begin to pursue Him. We begin to model Him in our hearts and in our lives. So when I think about mercy and grace, oh, mercy is easy. We all need mercy. We grasp it. We understand it. We can hang on to it. But grace is a little more difficult. Grace is a little more hard for you and me. Grace is really a big ask. You know what I mean? Do for me what I don't deserve. That's a huge ask. 
And to do that for someone else, that's really tough. Mercy's easy. I can show you mercy. But to show you grace, that's a lot tougher. Matter of fact, it's been said that grace is almost scandalous. Grace is hard to accept. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive because it doesn't make sense in our finite mind. We can't say two plus two equals grace. It doesn't work that way because that's not the way we think. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. See, the church has a performance mentality. If I come to church, if I pay my tithe, if I throw my hundred bucks in the offering plate every Sunday, then God has to do something because I perform. Grace has nothing to do with performance. It has to do with the love of God. Grace has nothing to do with you stepping up, towing the line, showing up every time the doors are open. Although I'd really love it if you'd all show up every time the doors are open. That'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? I'd really love it if we all paid our tithe every week. But grace is not performance-based. It's based on the fact that we have a personal Savior who gave His life on the cross for us. And because He gave us something we didn't deserve, we can live in that place every day of not deserving the goodness of God. But it never stops. It's not performance-driven. It's about relationship with the Father. So when we think about grace, there's a certain skepticism. It's kind of like when the telemarketers call and uh, they don't do that so much anymore now that we don't have landlines in our house, but years ago it was every evening at 6 o'clock when you're sitting down to dinner, right? And they always started out, there's no catch. I want to give you a free trip to Hawaii. Yeah, right. We know that's not true. We know everything comes with a price, right? We understand there is an attachment, there is a hook in all that stuff. But can I tell you, grace has no hook. Grace has no requirement. Grace has no prerequisites. When we come to Him, we receive mercy and we find grace. We receive what we don't deserve from God. Grace teaches us that God does for others. Listen to this, you need to remember it. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we ourselves would never do for them. How do I know grace is supernatural? How do I know it's a God thing? Because I would never do that myself. I can't emulate that outside of the Spirit of God alive in my life. Matter of fact, if we were in charge, we'd say, God, let's save those that are not so bad. Yeah, he cheated on his tax returns. Yeah, that can be forgiven. Yeah, he told a lie. That can be forgiven. But the prostitute, nope, no way, forget it. The drug addict, the alcoholic, no way, forget it. But grace shows us God does for others what we would never do for them. Somebody ought to be excited that you were once one of those others, and now you've been drawn near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you should be willing to extend to those others what God has given to you. Amen. Grace. Grace. Grace, write this down and remember, grace is a gift that costs the giver everything and the receiver nothing. Nothing. It costs the giver everything and the receiver nothing. And it's given to those who don't even know what it is, who barely recognize it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say once you learn the Roman road, once you go through confirmation, 
Once you have your first communion, then you can receive grace. No, my friend, the Bible says it's faith through grace that allows us to receive Jesus Christ into our lives. The worst sinner, the most horrible failure can step up and say, I need some grace. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to give it. He's going to give it. He isn't going to hold it back. He's going to give it because he knows that's what you need. <clears throat> I have a friend, his name is Maury Davis. Maury pastors a church in Nashville, Tennessee. He's been there probably 20 years, 25 years. But he hasn't always been a pastor. Matter of fact, he was one of those troubled youth. So troubled, so difficult, his parents couldn't handle him, and they sent him off to a military academy for his high school years. When he finished high school at that academy in New Mexico, he moved back to Dallas with his parents. Still out of control. Still doing everything he could do to make everybody's life miserable. His parents had to kick him out. So he found a friend of the same stripe. They moved in together. And then they started looking for another place in Fort Worth. Maury was demon-possessed. You need to know that. He was driven by the devil at that point in his life. He set up an appointment with the realtor to look at a house to rent. When the realtor met him, Maury took a six-inch buck knife out of his back pocket and he slit her throat. Almost cut her head completely off. It was a horrible, gruesome murder. And then he left. Well, he left so much evidence, the police were at his door within 24 hours. They locked him up in the Tarrant County Jail. Got another friend who pastored in Fort Worth, in Dallas at that time. His name was Don George. Don read the story in the paper. Some reason God spoke to him and said, you need to go talk to that young man. You need to go help that young man. You need to go show that man what mercy and grace really is. After a period of weeks, he was able to visit him there in the jail. And after a period of visits, one day more he gave his life to Jesus Christ. The demons were excised. He became a new man. Still in prison, still a murderer, but something happened on the inside. Over the months that, that led up to the trial, he hired a lawyer, his family hired a lawyer who was able to defend him very well. And when they went to trial, you know what his defense was? His defense was, I was demon-possessed. Absolutely, that was his defense. On that one jury, there was one particular man who was once a highway patrolman who understood demon-possession. The power of darkness. And when they found him guilty, most people thought he'd received the death penalty because that's what the law required for that gruesome murder. But that one individual said, no, I'm going to show him some grace. I refuse to vote for the death penalty. It had to be unanimous. And as a result, through a period of deliberations that lasted several days, they finally came back with a sentence of 20 years in the state prison. Maury rejoiced. He said, that was wonderful. I couldn't believe it. I escaped death, which I deserved. They gave him 20 years. By that time, months had passed since his salvation. had been filled with the Holy Spirit. He was in the Word. When he went to the Huntsville prison in Huntsville, Texas, maximum security, he was on fire for God. He was not the guy that killed the lady months before. Something had happened. 
And he led a revival in that prison where thousands of inmates came to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, were filled with the Holy Ghost, were freed on the inside. Oh, listen, you can't be free on the outside until you're free on the inside. And you can only get free on the inside when you understand mercy and you receive grace. Doesn't happen any other way. You cannot rehabilitate someone who is uh, 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 not changed in the heart. You can put a drunk in a suit and bring him to church, but until his heart changes, he's still a drunk in a suit. Come on, folks, we need to get this. It's all about mercy and it's all about grace. He had 20 years. In the eighth year of his sentence, due to overcrowding in the population, due to what God had done through him during that period of time, he was released. No parole, just released. Never reported to anyone, just released. An amazing thing. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. He went back to Dallas to his home. He found Don George at Calvary Temple in Irving. Began going to church there. He had nothing to do. He was an ex-convict. He couldn't find a job. So Don allowed him to start sweeping the floors at Calvary Temple. He swept the floors. He worked as a janitor. And then he met the pianist, Gail fell in love with her. They got married. And it wasn't but about a year and a half to two years. He was a youth pastor at that church. And when he was in that position, he gathered a lot of attention from the media. TBN had him on one night to share his testimony. So he was telling them what he did and how horrible it was, how he was demon-possessed, but he encountered God, and God saved him and delivered him and set him free and filled him with the Holy Ghost. And he was not the same man he once had been. As it happened, the family of his victim was watching that program. They called the station the next day, and then they called Don George. And they said, we are so appreciative for what God has done in Maury's life. We're glad that he is saved and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're delighted that he's serving the kingdom, but we can't handle him telling his story on television. Don't ever let him do that again. Listen, they were willing to give him mercy, but they would not show grace. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand the concepts? Mercy is easy. Grace is difficult. When it comes to relationships, oh, I'll forgive you because Jesus said I had to, but I'm not sure I'm going to show you grace. I'm not sure I'm going to do for you what you don't deserve because I know you. You see, and that's the rub in the church today. We're filled with mercy and we're short on grace. Come on, God is challenging us to be a people who emulate Jesus Christ, who are willing to show grace, to show people and to give people what they don't deserve. Now, our our maxim is, oh, you burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. That's not grace, folks. That's the spirit of the world ruling and reigning in your heart and in your life. Grace requires, grace demands that we do for others what they don't deserve. And let me say it this way. If you've been a recipient of grace, then you need to be an ambassador. You need to be a vessel. You need to be one who dispenses grace to everybody you come in contact with. Let me get right down in your business. A lot of folks have broken and severed relationships that have been that way for years because they don't apply grace. Oh, we'll forgive them, but I don't want them in my life anymore. 
We'll forgive them, but they will never hurt me again. You see, the very nature of grace requires us to do for them what we shouldn't be doing for them from a natural perspective. It requires us to forgive. It requires us to extend mercy. It requires us to allow other opportunities, second chances. Aren't you glad God isn't just the God of the second chance, but the 10,000th time, there's still grace for you. There is still grace for you. Listen, I said I was getting in your business. I'm going to do that right now. Carlos, would you come and help me? See, in our society today, there's a lot of folks that still think there should be a gap. There should be a separation. There should be a wall between black and white. But I've come to tell you, when I live in grace, I see my brother as my brother. There is no bridge. There is no gap. There is no wall. There is no separation. When I choose to live in grace, he is as much my brother as that white man right there. Or as that Mexican lady right there. Come on, somebody. Or as that Asian lady right back there. We've got to understand. It's not about race. It's not about culture. Thank you, Carlos. It's not about language. It's about grace. Grace. We have got to be willing to do for others what they don't deserve. What, they, what a hard concept. I struggle with this. I wish I could tell you I've got this all down and it works perfectly every time. I don't. I struggle with this all the time. You know, since we've been here, I say this jokingly, but really it's the truth. I've been cussed more than I've ever been cussed in my life. It happens on a weekly basis, up one side, down the other. I just have to smile. Okay, Whatever. You know, I can brush that off when it's folks from the outside that really don't know any better. But it becomes difficult when it's folks in the family. It becomes challenging when it's somebody that shouldn't be acting that way. Because there's something that rises up in me, and I want to slap them in the next year. That's not godly behavior. Well, son, neither is yours. That's what the Holy Spirit tells me, son, neither is yours. You see, grace is giving to others what they don't deserve. So if you're in a fractured relationship, would you show some grace? If you're in a fractured relationship, would you allow God to let grace to flow through your life? Tom, would you come back? Flow through your life and do something mighty and amazing in you. So we need to understand grace is what God has provided to us. Matter of fact, Peter asked the question in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Well, that's a good number. That's the number of perfection, right? That's God's number, seven times. Yeah, seven times. That's good. That's what his mind said. That's what his religion said. But what did his Lord say? Jesus said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Matter of fact, write it down and read it this afternoon. Read the parable that Jesus then gives of the king, the unjust servant. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Write that down and remember it. And see what he says in that parable about forgiveness. See, he tells us very clearly that grace and mercy are not predicated on how good we are, but it's on how good he is. And we need to emulate that goodness in and through our lives. Unforgiveness. When we're in relationships that are bound with unforgiveness, it means that we desire to hurt the people 
who have wounded us. There's nothing Christ-like about that, folks. Nothing Christ-like about that. Kind of reminds me of the little boy who was sitting on the park bench crying. A man came up and said, son, what's the matter? He said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. The guy said, well, why don't you get up? He said, no, I'm convinced I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. That's what unforgiveness does to you. It keeps you in that position of pain. You're bound and you can't let it go. Every time you think about it, that pain rises up against you again. And you want to hurt them one more time because of what they did to you. But you see, the Bible says when we're a part of the family, we receive mercy and we find grace. It's time to offer grace to those around us. The healing process begins when we get off that place of unforgiveness. When we let it go, move past it, let forgiveness flow. God will only heal our wounds when we stop inflicting pain on the ones that hurt us. Hear it again. Let us then fearlessly and confidently, boldly draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy for our failures and grace to help in the time of need. That good blessing God already has in store for us. How do we live this in a litigious world? How do we model this when all around us is conflict and strife and brother sues brother and Christian curses Christian and the world thinks we're all a bunch of phonies? How do we do that? Well, the issue is expectation. You see, when we raise the standard to expect believers to live in mercy and grace, then the proof of Him in us is self-evident. It becomes obvious to those around us, something different is driving you. Something different is motivating you. They may not understand it, they may not know what it is, but it will be a great opportunity at some point for you to talk about receiving mercy and finding grace. Because you're a part of the family of God. Some even the church think, no, it's better, I'll just hold a grudge. Let me tell you what Jesus said about that. He said, love your enemies. Do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the unthankful and even the evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. 1 Peter 3, 9, Peter addressing this very issue said, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing." knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. What's he saying? He's saying when we bless others, we receive a blessing from God. When we show grace, we receive more grace. When we offer mercy, we receive more mercy. Oh, folks, come on, understand the laws of sowing and reaping. If we will sow mercy and sow grace, we're going to reap mercy and we're going to reap grace. And I assure you, every one of us in this room will need mercy, will need grace before this day expires. So if we need it, we need to extend it. If we need to receive it, we need to offer it. Mercy and grace. Marks of the family of God is we begin to look like Jesus. Jesus was full of mercy and full of grace. What happens when I refuse to live in mercy and grace? You may need to hold a mirror up now so you can look at yourself. If I refuse to live in mercy and grace, then I lose my peace. 
I'm troubled all the time. I can't sleep at night. Something is constantly whirring in me, and I cannot, cannot find the peace that He's offered. If I refuse to live in mercy and grace, I feel guilty, condemned, judged myself. If I refuse to live in mercy and grace, I'm irritated. I'm always ready to be set off at a moment's notice. I've got a chip on my shoulder just daring you to knock it off. Because I don't know mercy and grace. If I refuse to live in mercy and grace, I'm angered easily. Always, always exploding. Listen to me. Those whom you don't forgive are actually holding you hostage. God's asking us to be a part of His family, to live that we're a part of His, we're a part of His family, to show mercy and to show grace. Stand to your feet with me this morning. As you're standing, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to talk to you for just a moment about what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. In this room this morning, there are some who need to receive mercy and find grace. There are some who need to know God loves me, God cares for me, God wants to forgive me. Today can be a new day in my life. Today can be a fresh start in my life because I've come to a place where I learn I can receive mercy and I can find grace. That's you across this room this morning. You need to receive mercy and find grace. You need God to come into your life to forgive you. Slip your hand up right where you're at. Across the room, from the front to back, side to side. Lift that hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Yes, sir, in the back. Someone else, I need to receive mercy. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, I need to receive mercy. Yes, ma'am. I need to find grace. Someone else, you'll join these four who've already said, I need to receive mercy. And I need to find grace. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand there in the back. Anyone else, you'll lift your hand and say, pray for me. I need to receive mercy. And I need to find grace today. Yes, ma'am. Someone else, as I wait another moment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God's going to do something for you today, young man. He's going to set you free and liberate you. Someone else, you'll join these six or seven. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I need to receive mercy. I need to find grace. Anyone else, as I wait another moment. Yes, ma'am. Someone else. God's speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. He's asking you. All you have to do is say, I need to receive mercy and I need to find grace. Anyone else? You'll join these who've lifted their hand. Yes, 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 yes. Others. Yes, sir. Others. Come on, God's talking to you. This is your moment. I told you before we began the message, this is your day. Someone else, you'll raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to receive mercy and find grace. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Now, everyone who's raised your hand, lift it back up. I want all of them up at the same time. Everybody who's raised your hand, lift it back up. Now, I'm going to ask for the one courageous one in this place. You're going to lead the way. You're going to step out and come. And everybody with their hand up, you're going to follow. Right now, come. You're going to receive mercy and find grace. Your hand is up. You step out from where you're standing. And let's come this morning. Come on, from all over this building. Come on, don't wait for anybody else. You step out and you come this morning. This is your day. This is your opportunity. God has created this hour to do a work in you that will transform you and change you for the rest of your life. You're going to receive mercy and you're going to find grace. Come on. If you lifted your hand, don't hold back. Step out and come. Join these many who've already responded. 
Come on, yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else you want to join these who said today, I'm going to receive mercy and I'm going to find grace. Anybody else? You want to come? Elders and deacons, come and press in right behind them. Stand right behind them. I'm going to go very quickly and pray for each one of you. And then I'm going to ask for an elder and a deacon to pray with you as well. They'll pray personally. They'll pray specifically for the needs of your life. But this morning, I want you to know, when we call on him, he hears and answers us. When we approach the throne of grace, we find mercy. We find grace. So today, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for all of these men and women, these teenagers who stepped out and say, I need to find mercy and grace. I pray, Lord, that that root of bitterness would be removed from their heart and from their life. I pray that the hurt that has caused the pain right now would be released. I pray that forgiveness would begin to flow and that hard feelings would dissipate. I pray now for grace and for mercy to flow into their hearts and to flow into their lives. Lord, I pray for deliverance in Jesus' name. I bind alcoholism and I command it to go in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord, a strong and a mighty work in this man's life today. He'll never be the same. Lord, I pray right now that we find mercy. We find grace. We release the offense and we release the offender. Right now, we release the offender in Jesus' name. We release those who have hurt us. We release those who have harmed us. We forgive them. We choose right now to let it go so that we can receive mercy and find grace. Receive mercy. Oh, come on. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, he's more than enough. He's more than enough. We release that offense in Jesus' name. We let it go and we ask you, we ask you to give us the ability to show grace. Lord, for grace and for mercy to flow into our lives. Cleanse us, O Lord. Break the offense. Break the hold. In the name of Jesus, grace and mercy. Grace and mercy flowing in our lives today. Let it be, Lord Jesus. Let it be, Lord Jesus. Lord, we let it go. We release the offense and the offender. We forgive. We forgive in the name of Jesus. We do what is not natural. We do what is only divine. And we offer forgiveness in Jesus' name. Now heal hearts right now in this place. Set men and women, boys and girls free right now. Bring deliverance. Bring grace and bring mercy into their hearts and in their lives right now. Say the name. Sing it out. Say the name. Come on. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.